for tuning in. You're listening to episode 17 of FemLonk. FemLonk is a policy and current affairs podcast that seeks to discuss innovative and traditional public policy and current affairs from a perspective of gender and inclusion. I'm your host, Katie Davey. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Flood, and we're going to talk about the GovMaker Conference. The GovMaker Conference is presented by the New Brunswick Social Policy Research Network and is designed to advance open government theory and practice by mobilizing knowledge, creating cross-sectoral relationships, and building the capacity of citizens and governments to engage in open dialogue, open data, and open collaboration. Both Aaron and I have been to, we, we went back and forth, we think, at least four of the five GovMaker conferences. And so we talk a little bit about our experience as to why we engage with this conference every year and what we've gotten out of it both this year and in years past. So we talk about some big questions. I'd be happy to hear your feedback on some of them as we kind of speak through them. And I would really just enjoy hearing your perspective on what open government means to you. So without further ado, let's chat with Erin. Erin, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. I'm really excited to hear about what your takeaways from GovMaker were. Thanks for having me, Katie. So let's just jump in, actually. I would love to know why you were at GovMaker. Like, what brings you to that venue? Yeah, Um, so I've been participating in GovMaker for, I think, almost every single one, save for maybe the first. Um, and our company, GoDo, actually had the privilege to sit on the committee for planning GovMaker this year. Um, but I mean, every year, our my interest lies in the idea of open democracy, um, open government, using data within government and how we shape policy and um, engaging government with citizens um, in more of a cross-sectoral approach than a lot of like more focused conferences might be. Right, and that's actually kind of how GoDo was born, right? That's kind of the mission of GoDo a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the, the approach where we're inclusive in having everybody at the table. So if you're solving a complex social issue, you can expect to have that solved if you're not, if you don't have the person who's actually challenged with the issue at the table. So. I think GovMaker brought that opportunity to the table and having multiple opinions and perspectives that I think are necessary to actually forming um, a real solution that's inclusive. Absolutely. I think the interesting thing from my perspective with GovMaker, and I kind of made this joke actually there, was that I feel like in a way I've grown up with GovMaker. So this was the fifth annual, and I think same. I don't think I was at the first one, um, but I think everyone since... And what I found so interesting was at the first GovMaker, I was in a position of student leadership and just kind of starting to really dip my toe into what like open government meant Mm -hmm. and what kind of participatory democracy and those types of terms meant. Uh, And for me, I really didn't know. And so I thought GovMaker was so interesting at the beginning phase because I think that a lot of folks were maybe at a similar place, like those conversations weren't really happening, you know, four or five years ago Mm -hmm. and GovMaker brought those conversations forward and that really is how I kind of learned more about what it meant to actually engage citizens in in government and in decision making and honestly from my perspective back then and even still I remember being shocked that that wasn't how government operated right um and one of the things that I heard time and time again this year at GovMaker was 
Um, you know, society is moving much quicker than governments are. Uh, I'd love your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, the word society is pretty broad. Yeah, exactly. It defines society. Uh, yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that's an important uh, topic that we touched on quite a bit at this year's conference, um, much more than we have in the past, but the concept of society and as it relates to things like technology and how quickly that's progressing and they're progressing next to each other. And so, as you say, government government is kind of viewed as a laggard, but government's also tasked with societal change. Mm-hmm. Like, throughout the entire society, they, they are tasked with that... Um, with that challenge, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, but I think it's the theme of the conference was slowing down um, as mm-hmm. a society versus, I know, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not providing too much clarity, so let me just think this one through. Um, slowing down to reflect on how quickly society is changing as well as finding that middle ground of where society and government meet together, Mm. I think is a big theme that was touched on this year. I think that's interesting. And I think, again, one of the things that I've gotten from GovMaker over the last few years is, you know, we're programmed to identify a problem or a challenge and to jump to a solution. Um, And I think what maybe similar to what you're trying to say there is, this year, we really focused on between challenge and solution and kind of slowing, well, really even just defining what the heck the actual challenge is, and then having the space to figure out what that means, what the evidence might suggest, and what a real solution could look like, rather than just developing a solution based on our own personal lived experience. Right. Um, which, yeah, I think I think that's so unique and not really in mainstream conversations right now around. Yeah, and do you yeah. think that that um, comes as a, almost the differentiation between how private sector mm-hmm. runs versus public sector? And when you look at public sector timelines, like a four-year timeline, do you think that that is a direct, like conflict to getting actual things yeah that's a great question and in one of the sessions i attended i think it was on the healthcare innovation actually one of the speakers said that government is too busy putting out fires to be able to develop forward-thinking policies and legislation and the example given was actually kind of self-driving cars was basically like governments are not in canada are not developing a legislative framework for something that we know is coming Mm. pretty soon um and i thought that that was so fascinating because again i think different from private sector like private sector is typically a bit more forward thinking in the sense of you know they're thinking what their market's going to look like they're thinking how their market's changing they're thinking about how to get there first Mm -hmm. or or even honestly how to create a new market right Mm -hmm. and and i think government are whether it's because of the four-year election cycle or because you know there's a lot of bureaucracy instead of thinking forward they're actually responding to what is happening to react react yeah they're reactive rather than proactive yeah which again like it's something that intuitively i kind of you know recognize but until somebody said it in that language Mm -hmm. i was like 
light bulb. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's become a vicious cycle that kind of perpetuates itself. And so when Ryan Helm was speaking, mm-hmm. um, I think he made a really good point about realizing that we change in government needs to be small and incremental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I really got value from his presentation because he when we, I think when we talk about, you know, whether it even is, you know, new government platforms or whatever, typically we're talking about these big changes, but in a lot of cases you don't actually need to, you know, pull the rug out. You can actually just make small tweaks that will have a really big impact. Mm-hmm. And I think going back a little bit to, to the point before, unfortunately I think actually elected governments and elected officials are asked to have all of the answers and expected to have all of the answers. And the reality is, how can you, you know, how can you have all of the answers to every single problem all the time? Um, I don't think that that's a fair standard for us to have. No, but do you think um, as we move towards conversations on open government, open democracy, um, the expectation will now be for politicians, or rather the politicians that will get ahead will be those that exercise transparency? I think... For me, I've thought actually a lot about this. What I want to look for in a politician is both transparency and authenticity. And I think recognizing that you don't have all the answers is both transparent and authentic. And I think that it will just provide a better form of government. And I even just think of examples like participatory budgeting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, governments, some governments are starting to do that by even just putting a small pot of money aside and getting citizens to vote on where that money should go. It's working a little bit better, I think, at the municipal level Mm -hmm. um, because municipal governments are closer to the citizens and citizens kind of engage with those services a bit more frequently. But I think that that's a real tangible way to engage with citizens in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of the things that we got as well from Ryan's presentation was that you know, you can't just ask for a billion dollars to do something crazy and innovative, but rather, you know, set aside $50,000 in a budget and ask citizens how that should be used. And then when they get used to that process or something like that, then maybe it increases or again, like... Right, just baby steps. Yeah, baby steps to, I think, honestly, gain trust from citizens, Mm -hmm. but also from a government perspective to allow for the political side and for politicians to not have all the answers all the time. Right, yeah, and I mean, that's definition of democracy. Yeah, no, exactly. But that's it, I think, like, I think what we're seeing now in all of the Western world is a challenge of what democracy means and looks like, mm. um, which is a huge question. Yeah, I, I don't even know. That's a, it's a huge question, I guess. That's all I really yeah. can say on that. But um, And it, well, so on that topic, too, the idea of participatory budgeting kind of translates well into using technology or, or our networks that have been enabled by connected technologies for positive outcomes rather than always having that profitability mm-hmm. as the end goal. So participatory budgeting is um, comparable, I guess, in the private world and correct me if I'm wrong to something like crowdsourcing yeah sure so crowdsourcing information to solve really complex social problems again I think is the right way or is the way that we have to start gearing um, our efforts towards things like connected technologies because you see 
the issues that uh, Facebook, for example, mm-hmm. Cambridge Analytica, have run into when it's profit-driven. And only profit-driven, I should say, because you, there has to be both the profit yeah. and impact, but I think that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that actually brings up a good point of when we talk about democracy, talking about the role that these like quasi-state spaces like Facebook, um, I hate that I'm terrified to use that term, I think, um, what role they actually do play in the future of democracy, right? Like, you know, Facebook, what, I don't know what the stat is, it's like the second biggest or like the third biggest country in the world when you think about how many people are on it, uh, which is so weird to think about, but that's a great question of how do governments or how do citizens hold both their governments accountable to organizations Mm -hmm. like Facebook, Um, but again, how do governments provide the right services to their citizens when there is that rise in the tech space. I'm like thinking this through as I'm saying it, so. I have the same kind of thought process and Bianca had spoken about, Mm -hmm. I keep thinking, I swear I'm not near as intelligent as her because her talk is still like going through my head and I'm realizing the certain points that she was trying to make days later. But uh, her point around, you know, she asked everybody in the room if anybody was afraid of the roof caving in on them Mm -hmm. in this conference center and nobody, was feeling that way until maybe she brought it up. But um, the comparison that she made to the feelings of safety that have been put into engineering physical infrastructure, that is kind of the next wave that will be required in in things like internet and security and data governance. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of a fascinating time that we're moving into. That's really interesting because I think a topic of privacy came up quite a bit at the EcovMaker from the lens of like governments collect a lot of data in silos and they don't share that data even within departments. And the excuse, I guess, is always privacy, privacy, privacy. But how do we, yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of framing it. Like how do we build the infrastructure so that privacy is protected Mm -hmm. and that we feel safe with what government is going to do with our data in the same way that we feel safe to use any sort of publicly funded infrastructure. Yeah, and I think, again, there's this kind of a, <laughs> there's a differentiation between private sector. So Facebook is a great example, um, and it's a great example because people so freely give away their data without realizing it to a company like Facebook. So, mm-hmm. But when it comes to government and open data, that topic, there is instantly a level of mistrust. And that might be from, you know, years of mistrust in their governments. But like open government, open data is, um, as you were talking about earlier, it's not something that you can just invest $80 million in or whatever it is and assume that the citizens will understand and be okay with it. Mm -hmm. So the education component for open data, I think, is like the critical piece that we're still missing and we haven't gotten to because it's with data, it's like, yeah, we can put it out there. Let's get as many data sets up on this portal, but what is your why? Like, why are you putting that data there? Mm-hmm. And who does that affect? And how are you going to release that data in a way that's informative and educational to the people who it's actually their data, it's citizens' data, open data? Yeah. Do you think, well, two questions on that. Do you think? there's a generational gap um, because I think perhaps, again, the folks who are giving data freely to private organizations 
probably tend to be on the younger side. Whereas I think the older you get, the more you interact with government in the sense of, you know, the more you're accessing healthcare services, the more you might be accessing social services. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the second part of that question is, do you think that the general citizen even realizes the lack of data sharing within government? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't, it might have actually been you, Katie, that I was talking to about, but realizing just how siloed government actually is when it comes mm-hmm. to data. Yeah, that yeah, because I think like it would kind of shock somebody to learn, for example, that healthcare and social services data are not shared when, as society is evolving, we are recognizing how much social determinants impact health. Do you know what I mean? Like that small example. So I I actually tend to think that perhaps there's also the just the lack of knowledge of how siloed it even really is, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. maybe increases the nervousness around sharing. I don't know if that. Yeah, and I think um, I mean from a government internal perspective, it's almost like let's start let's first talk about how we can start sharing internally. Mm-hmm because that's not happening no. to solve these big problems and drive policy before we start talking about releasing it. Yeah, well, and, and that's, again, back to the political side. A lot of privacy in government is dictated by legislation. And so if you change that privacy legislation, which is really your data sharing legislation as well, um, that's debated on the house of the legislature, or on the floor of the legislature, rather which is obviously going to become a very politically charged discussion. And what I think you've seen in the past is those discussions turning into like, you know, oh, they're, they're stealing seniors' data and giving it to... And like, that's just not the reality. So how do you... Like, that I think is the question too. Like, how do you remove that political conversation from, from the future building um, yeah. piece? Yeah, I mean, I think I don't have that answer. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, certainly interesting, and I think again, GovMaker's a positive step in the right direction because it's bringing together policymakers and the private sector and citizens and academia, and I think that's really important um, on the conversation of data and data sharing and how how we can almost expedite solving big problems by having them in the same room, but it can't just live within. A two-day conference either mm-hmm. yeah no I totally agree and I think yeah you're bang on it's so important to have that conversation from like cross sectorial perspective government private sector academia general citizen but then also recognizing too that we need to engage like we it's great to go to those conferences and talk about you know how we could change the social services system but in doing that we need to ensure that we're actually engaging with folks that are engaging with those services. And I think that that is such a huge takeaway um, for me as well is, you know, again, if you're making decisions on behalf of folks, you better be engaging them in the decision making. And it's, again, shocking that that's not a standard. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that um, from your experience with GovMaker, have you noticed or this year, did you notice that there was a, a special focus, especially a focus on uh, humanities and, and human-centered before yeah. dollar value or... Yeah, I think what I got really from GovMaker this year 
was a focus on a holistic approach to solving problems in government. So what I mean by that is ensuring that you're not making decisions in your own box. Like you are engaging across departments, you're engaging with frontline service workers, you're engaging with citizens, you're engaging with the data to see if what you've defined as your problem is really a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and also setting baselines so you can actually, you know, analyze what, yeah, what you yeah. do. All of those things, all the while taking a holistic look at the inputs and outputs of whatever it is you're looking at, even if it's just as small as, you know, getting checks to people sooner, for example. Like, so I think that really my biggest takeaway was like, you can't do it all alone and nor should you. You should be engaging as many people as you can in the Mm -hmm. process. My big, one of my biggest takeaways has been Bianca Wiley, who's a keynote. She had a podcast, might not translate, but she bent her arms and one side of her arm was completely up in the air and the other was, mm-hmm. was falling. So what she was trying to show is that we need to find the balance between um, quantitative data and qualitative data so that we're not letting social services fall just because of one-off experience oh yeah or and i think that's like could go exactly the opposite we're not making snap decisions based on hearing from one person an issue that they faced um yeah i think again it's it's looking at the entire system talking to people that actually are impacted and looking at the data if it exists and if it doesn't identifying that it doesn't and figuring out the way to capture it so The one final thing I'll mention that I loved is the narrative around becoming a future builder that was at GovMaker this year. And I really loved that, like leveraging that opportunity that governments really do have in creating the future that we all want to live in Mm -hmm. and and leveraging, again, those tools to create a better society and more equitable society for for the future. I really Mm -hmm. thought that was an uplifting message. And I think I want to start self-identifying as a future maker. (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, I agree with that. Thanks again for staying tuned into FemWonk. As you know, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FemWonk. You can also email me directly, katie at femwonk.com. And finally, if you liked this episode, please subscribe to FemWonk and leave us a review. Thanks so much.